You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in sunny Santa Monica, where the temperatures are approaching 100 degrees. Um, please be seated. Uh, we have, uh, we'll cool you down with some interesting uh, discussion on the latest in cyber law. We have with us Alan O'Rourke. He is the um, a partner of counsel with Womble Carlisle, Sandridge and Rice in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and formerly with the uh, a prosecutor who prosecuted um, computer hacking crimes, and when he was with the U.S. Attorney's Office in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, Alan, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And um, the reason why I asked Alan to be on the show, actually, is um, I saw him speak a couple weeks ago at the um, Privacy and Security Summit 2017 that was at George Washington University, and he led a very interesting panel. And the the issue was the whole concept of an active um, defense in cyber attacks. And uh, what exactly does that mean, Alan? Sure, I think the catchphrase you often hear is "hacking back," uh, and yeah. that's the you know that's the the tagline, and um, uh, it. It's um, there's been a uh, a tendency uh, lately among um, sort of the folks looking at this to try to rebrand it as um, active cyber defense or active network defense. Um, Doesn't sound as bad. Capture, you know. <laughs> well, it, um, I think hacking back, you know, sort of connotes uh, the idea of like. Um, um, you know, getting unauthorized access to, you know, the computer system of, right. of, of an adversary and, um, active cyber defense, uh, would certainly include that. Uh, but it would also include a whole host of other things. Um, uh, most of which would be probably less egregious. Um, and so it's more of a spectrum of activity. And if you think about network defense, there's a lot of, um, sort of 
passive things that uh, an organization might do, right? Sort of, um, you know, blocking malicious uh, traffic, you know, that's known to be malicious, um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, blocking uh, attachments and incoming uh, emails. There's sort of a variety of different uh, passive measures that could be taken. The idea of active cyber defense is, is one where, especially when you think about an organization that's facing uh, an APT, uh, uh, advanced persistent threat, so, so sort of a well-financed, sophisticated actor who's going to be persistent in trying to, to get access to that victim, you know, you'd want to do more than just be passive. You want to be active in um, investigating your, your attacker, learning as much as you can about uh, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to get. And of course, if they're successful, um, being able to uh, uh, make yourself aware of the scope of the, of the breach uh, and, and, and if at all possible, uh, remediate um, the harm uh, if you can. So um, active cyber defense would sort of kind of capture a lot more than just the, the passive um, sort of uh, build a wall, you know, type of measures. <laughs> I've heard that phrase. I'm trying to think of where. Yeah, um, right. I can't, can't remember either. It's so familiar. <laughs> now let's 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 back up a little bit and and explain that you know, you're you've spent quite a number of years in this area in your work in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Tell tell us about what the type of cases you managed. Sure, uh, and and this is you know uh, really uh, was. Uh, my my dream job uh, to be a, a federal prosecutor, uh, and um, especially lucky to to be part of the uh, cyber unit uh, of my office. I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington D.C. Uh, we had a cyber unit, and I was um, a part of that unit and designated as a chip, C H I P, means computer hacking and intellectual property uh, prosecutor. Every U.S. Attorney's Office is supposed to have at least one uh, designated chip. Uh, many offices uh, have a whole section uh, of chip prosecutors uh, to focus on these types of crimes. Uh, primarily, I would be um, investigating and prosecuting uh, violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. That's it, the uh, Title 18, Section 1030, uh, which prohibits, you know, unauthorized access to a Protective to another computer, uh, person's yeah. uh, computer. Um, that yeah, the language of the statute is a protected computer. And, uh, but there's a variety of other cybercrime that, you know, we've been doing as well. So um, everything from um, uh, cyber stalking, um, internet fraud, uh, did uh, a lot of uh, money laundering cases related to cryptocurrency, um, a number of dark, uh, dark market uh, cases where you're investigating either a dark web marketplace or you're investigating a particular uh, vendor uh, on a dark web marketplace. No, and, and, uh, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, but my my main uh, my main work was in working with a squad uh, focusing on China and doing um, cases related to um, corporate data breaches and and theft of trade secrets and economic espionage. So, um, <laughs> you know, those are victims who uh, for whom uh, active cyber defense would certainly be uh, on mm -hmm. their menu. Now, we. In your work in that area, particularly in, in the, that last part we, you discussed in terms of you know helping with data breaches, particularly with potentially foreign uh, state actors, um, were you seeing any trends in terms of you know the the types of attacks, the sophistication of the attacks? 
the methods of the attacks? Sure. I think for me, um, being able to, um, I guess, become involved in the cybersecurity space um, as a prosecutor um, uh, was a great opportunity. Uh, uh, and what it did, it really opened my eyes um, to this world of cybercrime that, um, I mean, we're starting to hear a lot more about it now with, with sort of increased reporting and uh, in the news and so many big uh, you know, news events. But the first thing I discovered is just cyber attacks and, and um, internet fraud is just so much more widespread um, than uh, than you than you would you would think just by uh, reading the news. Now, I had that realization. I I, I got into this a little bit uh, um, before the Sony hack happened. So at that time, it wasn't you know obviously data breaches were were certainly a problem and people were thinking about them, but but not even close to right. uh, the, the high profile issue that it has become today. Um, so it was, it was, e- it was easy to, for a person to say, well, I hope, you know, uh, I hope I never, something bad never happens to me. And I guess, you know, having had the experience of, uh, especially being able to investigate, um, uh, you know, a particular threat group and, and, uh, a criminal scheme that they're undertaking and being able to see how they actually set up the scheme and launch it. Um, you know, it's, it's just so many more attacks and so much more, so much more widespread than, than you sort of appreciate. And, um, and I think it's, um, I mean, I guess it's become a bit hackneyed to say it's not a matter of if, but when, and I would right. just say that it's not really if or when it's really already. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have, if you have anything of note, um, it is so uh, cheap for, um, uh, and, and so easy for um, an attacker to, you know, make an attempt to get in your network or, or exploit uh, your network in some way that, um, you know, it's just, it's just very, very widespread. So I guess that was the big eye-opening thing for me. Um, and, and I noticed that, you know, yeah, I was, you know, a lot of the things you read about with sort of vulnerabilities and, um, um, you know, uh, the social engineering component, they all frequently come together uh, in right. these attacks. Another thing that was eye-opening for me was that the, the crime is frequently, um, uh, it's not like, I guess I would have sort of imagined it would be like one very sophisticated hacker, you know, um, kind of uh, takes down the, the big company or takes down, you know, whoever's the victim of the attack. But Typically, it's the the different functions in a in a in an attack are broken up um, by different groups or, or different individuals who who are good at that. So, you know, you might have one group or one individual who is writing malicious code and developing malware, right. uh, and he's not going to typically he's not going to be the same guy who is delivering the malware. So, you know, sending the spear phishing emails or you know, setting or setting up a watering hole or whatever it is they're doing to deliver the malware. And then if the malware then, let's say it's malware designed to steal credit card numbers, mm-hmm. the, the, the different people who create the malware and deliver the malware, they're not going to be the same people who are then going on the dark web and, and selling, uh, you know, selling those credit cards or, or using the credit cards to commit um, identity theft. You know, they might sell, uh, what's called a dump, 
you know, they might sell the whole dump that they stole, but then other people will will kind of be engaging in that criminal market for exploiting those credit card numbers. So it's one of those situations where um, that, that was that was new to me, and that's become even more of an issue with um, sort of uh, computer hacking as a service and ransomware as a service and all these sort of uh, ways in which you can just go hire you know someone to to you know to do that. So, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then the very last thing, forgive me. Um, I, I I enjoyed talking about this stuff. Uh, the very last thing that really was eye-opening for me is the when I sort of pictured computer hacking in my head before I got into it. I sort of pictured a situation where you've got your your bad guy and he's somewhere on the other side of the world and he's at right. his computer and and he is sort of um, kind of attacking you you know, across the internet. And I sort of picture in my head kind of a straight line of, of communication. Um, and I guess what I, what I found instead is that, um, there are sort of a, a large variety of, um, services and, and other entities that are uh, leveraged by an attacker. So it could be, a, an email provider based in the United States that is what is being used to send the emails. It could be an ISP in the United States or in Europe that is being used to run the command and control server. It could be, you know, um, it, it, they're really sort of the, the, the flow and movement of data involved in one of these attacks. Typically it touches way, you know, many more organizations than just the attacker and the victim. Uh, it, it sort of, uh, and, and I, and I found that my job ended up being, um, identifying all those touch points and going and going out there to gather the evidence. And so, anyway, those are kind of three things that were eye-opening for me and, and have influenced how I uh, approach you know data breach law now and, and, and my investigations that I do now. And and so with that background, you're you're telling a story of businesses that are are basically getting pounded daily. People are trying to access their devices daily from all over the world, and some of their, you know, IT people are saying, "Hey, this is this is whacked. <laughs> what can we do about it proactively? You know, can we fight back?" And when was the first time you heard about kind of these active defense measures being discussed? Um, that's a good question. I, I think that um, I, I suppose hacking back. You know, uh, certainly after the the Sony hack, there was you started to hear people talk about hacking back, uh, and it and it was couched in a policy discussion um, as to whether that that sort of thing should be allowed or encouraged, uh, and, it, and it still is uh, couched in that way. Um, and the uh, and then in terms of the sort of the legal discussion, um, I think grew out of that uh, and. And the, you have seen some public discussion about it, but uh, the reality is, if um, there there are enough sort of legal gray areas that um, it's, I think it's been hard to get organizations that you know are considering this sort of thing to sort of come out and talk about it uh, because you know exactly. uh, it, it's a potential liability. So um, there is. Um, there was a, um, a discussion uh, bill, um, but I think it was just now uh, last week, uh, actually uh, proposed uh, in Congress as 
um, uh, by uh, Representative Graves of Georgia, and this is the a bill for the Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act, or the ACDC Act. Um, and so that is, <laughs> I guess that is, yeah, I know. Uh, and I, and I, I can see the T-shirts those, now. but <laughs> Yeah, those, those acronyms are important to me, so I, I appreciate the effort uh, that was put into it. But um, so I guess that, you know, uh, as you know, that this thing has been floating around for, um, I think over a year now. And so there has been a lot of discussion, um, more policy discussion and some legal discussion, uh, arising out of that. Um, and of course, why why don't we kind of walk through the levels of steps you can take and, the extent to which there are issues associated with each one and whether or not you know, there needs to be or you believe there should be any changes in the law. So the basic, what's a, 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 the kind of minimal level of cyber defense that um, other than you know, your basic firewall and encryption, all that stuff, um, SSL, what, what is, what's a, a basic kind of the, the, the kind of the level one um, cyber defense mechanism. Sure, I think so. If you're thinking about purely passive defense, I guess you'd, you'd be thinking about basic security controls like firewalls and you know running your antivirus um, software, and, um, uh, patch management, um, uh, you know, and and similar sort of scanning uh, in your network. But you, in terms of being more active. In terms so, of trying to yeah, identify, so the, maybe. So that's the that's on the sort of purely passive. Uh, I would say that, you know, I'll just sort of moving it up. Um, yeah. The um, so, so information sharing, uh, you know, is uh, there are a lot of former formal information sharing uh, programs, and, and there's also informal information sharing, sort of threat sharing. Um, you know, you you can have. Um, doing, uh, sort of conducting proactive investigations within your own network. So, um, kind of, uh, intrusion detection type of work, um, looking for anomalies in user behavior, uh, that, that might reflect, uh, an active intrusion. Um, there are, you know, uh, within your own network. And, and so that's the theme here for this side of the spectrum is stuff you're doing inside your own network. You might set up, um, a sandbox where you can, you know, um, uh, examine um, uh, malware that you've that has been delivered to you. Uh, and you a sandbox up. for our listeners would mean what? Sure. So, um, a sandbox would be uh, either an actual or, or a virtual computer uh, that you uh, segregate off of your network, uh, and that is sanitized so that you know it doesn't uh, have any information on it that you're concerned about. Uh, and it it gives you a place where you can actually um, uh, intentionally detonate malware uh, and and see what happens and and see you know uh, and without risking uh, that malware affecting your your actual network and your actual data you know that that you manage. So it's a um, cyber crash test dummy. Yes. Right. So you and 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 typically it's going to be a, a virtual machine and and you just create a new one uh, from scratch and then use it and then erase it. Um, so um, also within your network you have 
similar to sort of a step up from a sandbox would be a honeypot uh, or a honey net. A honeypot would be like a similar deal where you have a computer uh, that uh, is segregated from your network, so whatever happens on it is not is not going to impact you in terms of security. Um, but you know, it, it it you may have it be connected to the internet, and you may uh, you sort of kind of leave it out there uh, so that um, an attacker who is looking for uh, entry points to your network. Uh, might see that and 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 attempt to gain access to it, uh, and you'll be able to sort of monitor and see what happens. Um, sometimes the role of the honeypot would be if you, you know the initial malware that gets delivered in a in a in a situation where someone's trying to get remote access to to be able to send remote commands to a network. Um, you know the the initial uh, payload of a malware will typically be. Um, a program that will call back to a command and control server somewhere else, uh, and, and essentially ask for, you know, uh, ask for instructions from the hacker. So if you have a honeypot set up, you can you can go ahead and detonate that, um, and and see uh, what the malware does, and see who it calls back, and then see what instructions come, because frequently the instructions might be you know another payload of malware. And there's a value to doing that because you can sort of watch all that unfold and then you could uh, see what happened and then you could go on your regular network and look to see if that second payload of malware uh, is anywhere on your regular network or look to see if you have any network traffic on your regular network uh, to that command and control server. So it sort of it gives you more information um, that from an investigatory standpoint you can use to go actually investigate and find uh, successful intrusions or, or, or ongoing intrusions in your in your actual network. So, and and there are other things that Honeypot can be used for. And and sometimes to be convincing, you you will actually link together a bunch of Honeypots as if they're a computer network, and that would be referred to as a Honey Net. Um, but it it serves essentially the same purpose. Now, Honeypots provide more information, but so do our sponsors. And so we're going to take a short break to allow them to do so. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. 
Learn more on WPEngine.com. All of your favorite WebmasterRadio.fm programs on air and on demand 24-7. Find our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you download your podcasts. Add some podcasts to your playlist as part of a better profit margin. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we've been talking about some of the dirty deeds of cyber hacking and other network intrusions that go on on a daily basis on the web. And we're talking with Alan O'Rourke about what steps someone can take or may take or contemplate taking to respond on an active basis to such threats. And so before the break, we were just talking about honeypots and network honeypots. And Alan, what is the next step after that? Sure. And I'll I'll, just to speed up here, um, you know, another step, so you, you might have a program where you're actually going out uh, on the dark web and, and uh, trying to see if uh, information that would have been from your network uh, is for sale. Um, so you're doing a dark web investigation. Um, you, um, none, of, none of those things uh, that we've talked about so far would really, um, would, would really involve you know, uh, so affecting anyone else's network. But, right. So so far, we we wouldn't be getting a call from your your successor. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, even 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 in some of that other stuff, there are gray areas. But broadly okay. speaking, no, those aren't the problem things. I think the the next step up would be the idea of a beacon. Um, so you can imagine putting a little, uh, you know. Uh, sort of uh, code uh, on uh, you know critical files that you store and if right. those and, and 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 they and they're they might have a, a steady beacon to your network and if they were removed from your network and opened somewhere else then um you it would beacon back and uh, alert you so it would be a way of finding out that files of yours have been stolen and, and of course where they were taken to um you can imagine the same type of process uh, and sometimes refers to it as a die pack. So, you know, in like an old right. um, Western where somebody's robbing the bank and they and they head outside with the with the money. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if this is really a Western, but a, a bank robber situation and somebody runs outside with the money and it, and it explodes with die. You can imagine uh, building the same sort of functionality into a computer file where it uh, is readable and functional when it's inside your network. Uh, but then if it's removed from your network, uh, it will self-encrypt, um, and you know, uh, you know that would those things are going to be sort of in this gray area. Um, in terms of um, so even more sort of forward stuff. You know, let's you, just stop with those two. How how are they gray? Explain to us the aspect that makes them potentially over the line. Sure. Well, so the um, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act is your is your uh, just quick overview of the sort of the, the laws at issue, the 
18 U.S.C. 1030 um, makes it a crime to uh, intentionally access, you know, another um, another person's computer or it's referred to as a protected computer, but the definition of protected under the law is so broad that it's really, you know, another person's computer connected to the Internet. Uh, to do that, you know, without authorization or, or in excess of authorization, um, and and it's to do it to obtain information or cause, you know, or cause harm or, yeah. or a variety of variety of other things you can do while you're there. Um, but essentially, it's, it's sort of like trespass. Um, it's sort of like trespassing on another person's property, but but instead, you know, on a computer. Uh, and then there's the Wiretap Act, and we we think of the to the extent that. Uh, an ordinary person gives any thought to the Wiretap Act, um, they were probably thinking about it in terms of the rules that uh, law enforcement have to follow in order to get a court authorization to, you know, wiretap somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, like like you watch in, in The Wire where they have to, like, you know, uh, sign all those papers. Right. Um, but the same statute uh, makes it a crime for anyone to to um, to engage in uh, in sort of intentional interception of the contents of a wire, oral or, or electronic communication using a device. So for so, example, this uh, if this was this conversation wasn't a radio show, but we were just having a private conversation and I was taping it without your consent, depending on the state, that could be a crime, right? Um, it, it, this really sort of you have your federal law um, and then and then you have your state laws layered on top of that, and it really varies. Uh, I say whether it's one person uh, consent, two person. Yeah, some consent. states, yeah. some states, it's fine as as long as one person on the call consents. Some t- some states, you need to have both consent. It just it really depends. Um, but certainly, if you know, um, if you uh, you know uh, are you know going back to that sort of uh, kind of the to think about the fact pattern from that original Katz decision in the Supreme Court, that where we think about the the reasonable expectation of privacy test for wiretapping. And, mm-hmm. you know, where if you think about attaching a device to a phone booth and the police doing that to, you know, record people's calls, if a private person uh, did that and started recording people's calls, you know, that would also be a crime. I guess right. that's my point. It, it, it's, a, it's a standalone it, offense. Um, and the private person, unlike the police, uh, does not have a mechanism to go get a, to do it legally, a court yeah. order uh, to do it legally. Uh, and then, you know, there are a couple of other uh, kind of laws at play. The Stored Communications Act, which is sort of like a privacy statute for what we call uh, electronic communication service providers. So this would be like anyone in like an email service or uh-huh. um, online text messaging service or any, any type of uh, service that allows you to communicate with other people electronically. So it's pretty broad, frankly. It could be anything from... Uh, a website that you know allows you to post comments to to uh, obviously direct messaging. Um, it, it actually captures a lot of different things. Um, that statute has rules, you know, that apply to those service providers about how they treat you know con- con- customers' information. It has rules about what the law law enforcement has to do if it if it wishes to um, uh, get access to that sort of information for a case, uh, but. It also has a, a criminal law component to it. So if you, uh, it's if you intentionally access uh, without the permission, um, the language is a facility that uh, provides an electronic communication service. 
um, you know, uh, then then you know you'd be those be twenty section twenty seven oh one of Title eighteen that that's an unlawful access to stored communications. So basically, it's like the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act would be if I hack your computer, uh, and the twenty seven oh one of the Stored Communications Act would be if I hack your email account. Essentially, okay. you know, if your email account's on your computer, it's, it's Google's computer or Yahoo's computer, whoever's. Um, but it's uh, but you still have a crime for it. So um, that beacon I I can put in my file, if it's sending information from someone's either email server or sending information from someone's computer, how does that play with the legal framework you just laid out? Um, so the the fourth the fourth law that I, I would actually want to add there is the. Um, is the pen register trap and trace statute. Okay. Uh, and it's very similar to the wiretap act, except that the wiretap that relates to, um, uh, the contents of communications. So if I had a device that, uh, would read the, uh, packets of data, you know, um, flowing through a, a point in the internet, you know, for purposes of, you know, uh, figuring out the, information, you know, that, that might be a wiretap, uh, type of situation. Assuming you're doing it without permission. Um, whereas if you are, if you're using a device to track the addressing information, so not the contents of the message, but the addressing information, the, uh, who it's to, who it's from, data was sent, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, that would be what's referred to as a pen register trap and trace. And it's an old statute. And the, ter- the terms pen register, trap and trace relate to the devices that were used to basically record uh, phone calls, like, you know, uh, who's calling who at what time. But, right. but now, but the language of it would cover all, any, any type of uh, metadata, you know, relating to communications. So including IP addresses and things like that. So turning to the beacon situation, I mean, like, um, I think that, you know, rationally, we think it shouldn't be a big deal to stick a beacon in your file to let you know if it's stolen. Um, but I, but there's certainly concern that if, you know, if if you plant it there surreptitiously, you know, and then someone, even if it's a thief, steals the file and takes it with them, then now, you know, you have a, a beacon sitting in another person's network that is secretly sending information back to you uh, about that network and about the information on that network. Um, and uh, I suppose that's an example of the gray area where, um, uh, you know, w- would, would a, a, a U.S. attorney's office look at that and say, I think we should prosecute this person for, you know, violating the pen registration statute. I, I would, I assume they would probably not, but, but a lawyer, representing that organization, uh, generally speaking, is not, it's very, ordinarily, you're not going to, they don't want to call attention to a criminal law, right? You're you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to keep a a, a nice uh, distance away from any criminal law. And and that's sort of the challenge here. I mean, Um, I'm reminded in the, I think it was the eighties or nineties, there was a case where, you know, the, the exploding, you know, the die pack of the, the, of uh, money, you know, a bank robber, you know, took the money, stuffed it in his pants, and you know, and 
it exploded and he actually sued the bank for damages as well as the police and the uh, medical care people for laughing. <laughs> but, um, you know, which is obviously uh, clearly this guy is uh, a living proof of Darwin. But, um, you know, are people in are we are you going to see that occur in cyberspace because they, they don't want to call attention to themselves. No, I mean, people can be that stupid, obviously, as that example demonstrates, but it, it's going to be rare. I, I think that um, um, the certainly the, I, I guess the concern would be you, you've got these organizations, they're heavily regulated, they have the government looking at them, many organizations, right? Um, and, you know, it, you, you wouldn't want to have a formal policy or protocol in place that includes uh, violating a criminal law. Um, right. And uh, nor would you want to have a practice of doing that. And so um, kind of taking that steps further, there are obviously a variety of other things that, uh, and, and this is the ones where people, uh, these are the sort of situations where this debate kind of comes to a head is where, well, and so this is getting into the more and more active space. Sure, of, before we okay, get there, well, do, on the beacons, sure. do they work? Uh, I mean, I, I know. I mean, I, I know that product exists. I mean, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's one of those situations where, um, uh, as a uh, as a lawyer, I, I'm not going to go around and purport to to be a, um, a com, you know computer scientist. Uh, right. But no, but I was wondering. I've if, certainly if, consulted with people who people are said who that I that's an believe to be very knowledgeable mechanism. and. I think that that type of technology uh, uh, is used and can work. Um, ironically, it's this beaconing technology is very, very widespread in the context of the online ad network and, and uh, tracking yes. user activity on the internet. Um, so it, it's it's the idea of web beacons, um, uh, and you know, and there's also um, plenty of success putting beacons in emails so that you know you can track you know, when an email that you send is open and from where and yeah. it's forwarded, who opens it and so on. Um, so that, that technology works great. And it is a big part of how, um, targeted, um, uh, sort of online ads, uh, are made possible. Um, it's application for active network defense, um, is murky in large part because people don't, it's not really talked about a lot in a public way because of the sort of gray area, if that makes sense. Sure. So let, let's get um, to the escalating part. Yeah. I, I know that that stuff is, exists, it's used, um, but the extent of its use and the extent of its effectiveness, you know, it, it's, it's just, you're, you're not going to, it's hard to go um, find a lot of um, people willing to talk about that at great length. Um, sure. So but, the, the um, more forward-leaning stuff there, would be like, before sure. we get there, and my, my producer wants me to take a break. So we're going um, to take a short break for our sponsors. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report through this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. Take your hat off, kick your feet up, and log into the feed. We're here for you 24-7. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back and we're talking about cyber defense, active cyber defense with Alan O'Rourke. And we're just about to jump to the, uh, I guess, uh, Code Blue, the, the, the top shelf version of cyber defense. And why don't you walk us through it, Alan? Um, sure. Although uh, it's funny that you said uh, Code Blue. A lot of times in an organization for when you're thinking about the sort of active defense teams, sometimes they use the language of a blue team and a red team. Um, and a blue team is sort of uh, a team defending the network using oh. active or active uh, you know, measures. And the red team is, is one that uh, tries to intentionally attack the organization's own network to sort of, you know, basically do penetration testing on the blue team. So the, those terms of red team, blue team uh, are frequently come up in this space. Interesting. Um, well, but but the so the more active stuff you would think of would be uh, you know you you discover you you have an intrusion uh, and your your uh, sensitive data has been stolen. Uh, you uh, uh, you see an opportunity to um, uh, you know hack back to to use the uh, 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 colloquialism and. Uh, steal back that information or, or hack back and delete that information from, you know, from the attacker's computer. So that would be sort of a, um, uh, sort of a rescue mission, if you would. Um, it could be another very active, uh, thing would be that you are, um, being targeted by someone, uh, maybe for, for denial of service attacks or, or, or somehow a botnet is being used, uh, you know, to target you and, you participate or, or help uh, take down that botnet, and that could be, you know, writing a code that will, um, uh, if you if you investigate your attacker enough, you might you might figure out a kill code to you know uh, shut down the 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 command and control software on the um, uh, or the implant software on the, on all the victim computers in the botnet. So you would you know do a, essentially a botnet takedown, and um, I know that 
uh, in coordination with the government, a lot of uh, large tech companies uh, have uh, had great success with botnet takedowns. Um, you, you know, uh, you could be, I mean, you can imagine uh, a very forward leaning one would be you, uh, you do your own ransomware. You, you know, somebody's attacking you and you, um, uh, you, you attack them back with a ransomware and say, you know, return what you stole and, or, or I'm going to hold your computer hostage. Or you could even imagine a denial of service attack. You're, you're being yeah. attacked from a certain IP address and, and you, you go out and hire a botnet and launch a DDoS attack on, on that uh, computer network to disrupt the attack that's happening against you. There's all sorts of, you know, this, this sort of uh, kind of the ima- your imagination is the limit and, and how realistic sure. this stuff is, is subject to debate. Right. Um, and we've actually had but, someone on the show talk about the marketplace for those type of services. And remarkably, I, I recall something like a DDoS attack for a day was something like 150 bucks. You know, you can yeah. get it on the dark web and you know get some, you know, Estonian or you know Russian, you know, coder to do this, but um, but it's not legal. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing. But you can imagine if you're, uh, you know, if you if you are. Uh, undergoing, you know, an active cyber attack and, and you say to your, uh, your, your blue team and your red team, Hey guys, can't we just go on the dark web and, and hire a botnet and launch our own denial of service attack against these guys? Wouldn't that disrupt this? Well, maybe it would disrupt it, but you know, uh, right. there's, there's not really legal authority for that. Um, to use a jaws so, analogy, you know, when it's, when, you need a bigger boat isn't going to work. The, yeah. Then you, do we fight back, I guess, is the question. And um, the law says no. <laughs> right. So there's, and I think that the context for the debate is that uh, with, with, you know, uh, greater and greater attention being paid to the, um, our, our, uh, our vulnerability in cyberspace and, and mm-hmm. the widespread and, and you know, uh, serious uh, nature of uh, cyber attacks and, and obviously the big high profile cyber uh, attacks and data breaches that we read about, um, that, you know, that that is uh, sort of spinning out of control uh, and that, you know, the the usual tools of uh, the government in terms of law enforcement and and uh, you know, to try to come to the aid of a victim uh, is not, you know, is not in a position to, you know, come to the aid of every victim. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, mean, I was part of that uh, criminal justice system and, and there's full of great people, but, um, you know, certainly this isn't a kind of a new and emerging uh, space and, uh, you know, you absolutely the, the government doesn't have the resources to be uh, going after every case and right. uh, every incident. And that there's also a perception that, you know, in the current very hot market for um, cybersecurity talent, that some, uh, some of the best talent is, is in the private sector. And, and that, you know, as we find ourselves uh, in this sort of um, uh, sort of, uh, kind of worsening uh, uh, situation uh, for cyber attacks and cyber crime, 
you know, can't we leverage some of that uh, private sector talent and resources? Sure. Um, and, and, I, and I guess it's that analogy, you know, or that, that scenario. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't want to get into any particular incident, but of course, yeah. you, 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 you imagine uh, what if, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, someone at Equifax is, uh, able to, uh, you know, hack back and, and retrieve, uh, you know, the, the, the information and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, and wouldn't we want that? And, um, and I guess that is the type of, uh, that is the type of, um, you know, thinking that, that, that frequently comes up and, um, uh, and frequ- sometimes these things are very time sensitive. Sometimes you might have a window that's that's open, um, you know, it's not really open long enough for you realistically to go to identify uh, and talk to law yeah. enforcement, have them open an investigation, have them go get a search warrant or go get uh, a, a wiretap uh, order. You know, it, it, frequently things are moving a lot faster than that, and and there would not be the opportunity to do all those things. So um, I guess that's the sort of argument on one side. Uh, so the argument on the other side is. You know, is well. There's a variety of arguments, but one is you don't want some private organization uh, hacking back and, and right. inadvertently starting World War III. Um, Particularly since or, we are talking often about state actors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and when and, you have uh, a problem of attribution, let's say you know I'm knucklehead at you know Silicon Valley company you know X, and I start doing it, and they mistake me for being a state actor. The, the consequences could be severe. Uh, right. Uh, or, and the other, and the other, you know, um, important argument uh, that is frequently trotted out on, on the con side is that typically these attacks, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not unusual for attacks to be uh, routed through the uh, computer system of an innocent third party. And so, right. you know, just because you see an IP address you know, as the source of, of someone attacking your system doesn't mean that's the IP address that belongs to, to the, your attacker's home computer. You know, that, that could be, uh, you know, Aunt, uh, you know, Aunt Maybell's uh, computer in, in the Midwest and, you know, uh, and, and she's, she's just another victim and it's being rerouted through her. And if you, if you do your, um, launch your DDoS attack or, or launch your, or send your own malware to that IP address, you're really just, harming this innocent third party. Now, discussions about changing the law to allow some sort of active defense or hack back, what do they center on? What is it they think should be allowed that isn't currently? Well, I think that there's, there's, I wouldn't say that there's consensus. Uh, I think to the extent there's consensus, uh, it would be that the, those laws I described to you, uh, this, the Computer Fund Abuse Act, the Wiretap Act, the Pen Register Job Trace Act, and the Straight Communications Act, uh, these are all decades-old laws uh, that um, are, uh, are, are, in, are, are probably in need of an update uh, in a lot of different ways, but uh, certainly uh, they do not contemplate uh, or they do not seem to contemplate the type of situations we're talking about. Uh, and as a result of that, there's, there is absolutely gray area for a lot of different things. Uh, so I think there's, there's probably consensus about, about that, um, as to how that should be addressed, you know, 
you know, people very widely on, on, you know, uh, wanting to create, uh, sort of, um, sort of, uh, some sort of avenue for authorized or, you know, legal hacking back, uh, versus, uh, you know, w- w- regarding that as a real, uh, as a real, uh, uh, terrible thing for, uh, for security, uh, and, and not wanting to have that be allowed. Uh, so, now the draft I proposal would, that was circulated by the Georgia congressman. What what did that involve? So his uh, so that bill that was introduced, the uh, ACDC Act, uh, would it, it would create a uh, defense uh, in uh, in the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, uh, and it would basically say that what the law, what that bill is defining as an active cyber defense measure. Uh, would not be considered a, a violation of the statute, and then those things. So those things would include um, uh, the unauthorized access to the, uh, the the this bill would define uh, someone who is uh, the victim of one of these attacks as a defender, and then you know the person or organization perpetrating the attack is the attacker, and so it would say. If you're undertaking something uh, that with unauthorized access of the attacker's uh, computer, uh, and you're doing it to um, to gather information to uh, try to establish attribution to figure out who's doing it, uh, uh, in order to share with the government, uh, with with the U.S. government, uh, or if you're doing it to disrupt an ongoing attack against you, the defender, uh, or or if you're doing it to monitor the behavior of the attacker to uh, to sort of similar to what I talked about with the honeypot. If you're doing it to monitor the behavior attacker so that you can um, more effectively defend against uh, future uh, intrusions, um, you know, that that would be, that would be a defense to, to a charge of um, violating the CFAA. Any requirement of giving notice to the government that you're going to do that or that you have at least been attacked? Uh, so yeah, so this this is the I think this is version. I'm not sure if we're on version 3.0 or 4.0 of this bill. Uh, that was uh, that there is a new um, a new addition, perhaps in response to criticism, um, that that does have a notice requirement now. They worked so on it all night long. Something like this, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you would have to notify. Uh, they they're going to have this. Uh, FBI National Cyber Investigative Joint Task Force, and you have to actually get a response back from them uh, before you you undertake your your measure. Uh, and then there's a there's a way that you could um, uh, that if you have like a that you could if you have a program that you want to use or, or a, um, an approach you want to use, you could sort of go in advance and sort of get a get a stamp of approval to be able to use it. Um, mm. Okay. We, we only have like a, a minute and a half left. So uh, I want to thank you for y- your time on this. And it's been a great discussion. Is there, um, if people want to learn more about you or if there's any presentations you want to give upcoming and that you, they should follow, um, can you tell us what, the, what, how that is? Um, sure. I mean, if you're, uh, if you, if you're, I'm happy to be in the North Carolina area. I'm speaking on Friday at the, uh, retreat, uh, cybersecurity conference, uh, in, in Asheville. Or near Asheville, and, um, uh, and but 
but frankly, I'm, I'm a, a legal nerd and I love uh, talking about this stuff and, and, um, and especially when I uh, get to work on this stuff for, for clients, either in an advising capacity or what is more common for me uh, that I'm undertaking an investigation or, or litigation uh, related to, to a cybersecurity incident. So I'm um, always happy to talk through those things with people and uh, be, be as helpful as I can. And we have information on Alan and his website and his Twitter account, um, Alan O'Rourke, uh, which I know she just started, uh, <laughs> on our uh, blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at cyberlawradio. Follow the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. We're a full-service internet firm. But, Alan, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, we're going to be – next week we're going to have the author – of uh, an important book that's just come out, Shame Nation, the global epidemic of online hate. So join us next week. Go Dodgers. And everyone, we'll see you then. This is Bennett Kelly. Have a great week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.